morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. Today's show is pre-recorded, so you won't be able to call in. Of course, you can always get your questions answered by going to our website. It's agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Click on the contact button. You can send an email, and I'll be glad to get an answer back to you just right away. Hey, today's show is a very special treat for me. This is a show originally broadcast January 2009. It's got one of my very best friends in the world, Mr. Mike Viator, the owner of VCI Automotive, helped co-host the show with me. And on a sad note, Mike has had to close his shop since then because of health reasons. He's not doing real well, so I hope your prayers go out to him. I hope you really enjoy this encore presentation. Well, good morning, Mike. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to everyone. Yeah, Happy that, New Year. There you go. Man, holiday spirit, but uh, it's time to go ahead and get ready for the new year. That's right. So you give us a call. We're live and in person in the studio. I'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. Just in case you don't get a chance to call in or you don't care to call in or something occurs to you during the week, you can also go to the website. It's www.agcoauto.com. Now, that's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O, all one word, no dots, dot com. And that comes from Altazan's Garage Company. In case you're wondering what that little acronym stood for, or it could be America's Garage Company in the future. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> Very good. That's right. You never know. Pop on there and see what you think. If you have a question, there are actually four different databases with information. One of them is the vehicle questions, and that is a question and answer format where there's about 250 to 300 popular or frequently asked questions with the answers. For instance, how often should I change my oil? Well, if you want to know, you can pop on there and read it. There's several answers. Uh, when should I change the struts in my car? Stuff like that. How do I know if I have a blown head gasket? Right. There's so much variation out in the marketplace about mm-hmm. suggestions. It's who to, to believe, but right. good, solid advice. Right. And what this is, it's advice from someone who really doesn't stand to gain anything from the answer that he gives you. Because a lot of the folks who go to that website are not ever going to be my customers necessarily. Uh, Certainly, I hope that some of them will, and a lot of them do, but uh, some of them won't, and that's okay, too. Just go ahead and pop on there and see what you think. Good place to get some unbiased advice. Nothing on that site is for sale. There's nothing on there that's going to try to say anything or send you any information or solicit you. It's just good information, good informational resource. A couple of the other things on there, there's detailed topics, which is a detailed topic, probably 500 to 1,000 words on a specific issue. Now, that covers things, for instance, there's one in there now on power windows, which is a very problematic thing for a lot of folks. And the main thrust of the article is not how to get your window fixed after it breaks. It's how to prevent the windows from breaking at all, which there are some things you can do. Very helpful. Yeah, it's, it's good good information. So pop on there and see what you think. I think you'll like it. It's agcoauto, A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Whole bunch of information. I think you can spend some time on there looking around. And we're going to our phone lines with Ellis. Good morning, Ellis. Yeah, good morning. How are you this morning? Pretty good. Listen, I've got a 98 Lincoln Mark 8 okay. that I bought used. It's uh-huh. got about 130,000 miles on it. And when yes. I bought it, I was under the impression that they had serviced the transmission somewhere prior to my getting it. Uh-huh. Now, I, I can't verify that. Yes, sir. I've driven it about 30,000, and I took it down a place the other day, asked him to uh, change a fluid, and I asked him to drain the bell housing and do the because I wanted to change everything. Yes, sir. And the shop refused to do it because they were afraid that the uh, car might not move after they... <laughs> now, I understand about the high detergent transmission fluid yeah, and the... It's not the case, Alice. A proper service can never, ever, ever hurt the car and can no. buy you some time. 
That's kind of what I thought. This is where that comes from. There's two different types of services. One is a proper service where we drop the pan, we replace the filter, we replace the fluid, we retorque the valve body bolts, we adjust the linkage, and we check the inputs from the throttle position sensor, so on. That's a proper service. There's also a service known as a flush. Now, where this comes from, a flush, what they do is they just disconnect one of the cooler lines, run some clean fluid through a filthy, dirty transmission. Now, that has a couple of problems involved. Number one is it doesn't address the filter, which is the real problem more so than the fluid. The second is it can stir up the debris that's naturally in the pan and further restrict the filter. So you do not want a flush. What you want is a proper service. Yeah, I specifically questioned them on the flush, and they said they didn't do it. Okay. I told them, you know, pull the pan, change the filter. Right. Second side of the coin is this, and it's a more a psychological thing with the shop. They've got a transmission here. It's got 135,000 miles, and it's probably never been serviced. Okay? May or may not. May or may not. So the odds are that transmission is going to die at some point anyway. Now, if they service it and it dies next week, who's going to get blamed? Well, not the average customer might blame the shit going to. Correct, but that's what the average customer is going to do. So, therefore, they're just playing the odds. They say, you know, if we don't touch it at all, it may die next week. If we touch it and it dies next week, we're to blame. The risk outweighs the reward. And a lot of shops have that attitude. I generally, when I'm looking at a high-mileage unit that may or may not have been serviced, I try to warn the client up front, say, look, you know, we may work on this thing, and it may die next week. If we don't work on it, it may die next week. Kind of like a 100-year-old man who never ate carrots. One day eats a carrot, next day he dies. Well, did the carrot kill him? You got it. (laughs) So as long as we have a reasonable customer like yourself, we would have no problem servicing that unit at all. And I can tell you, a proper service can absolutely not hurt it. There's no way it's going to hurt it. Fluid has conditioner in it, which is going to condition the seals. It can even soften a hard seal to a certain degree. It can't undo the damage that's done. And if you drop the pan and the pan is all full of metal and, you know, there's a roller bearing laid in the pan, well, you know pretty much there. So it gives you a kind of a good heads up that, hey, something's coming. But, no, a, a proper service can never hurt the unit. Well, the transmission works fine. Mm-hmm. The only complaint I got is they have the lockout where it engages at about 37 miles an hour, and that's a pain with it jumping in and out. But uh-huh. I can actually uh, manually disconnect the converter lockup, so you just undo it when you're traveling around in town. Yeah, and that's probably an external problem outside of the transmission. That's more likely going to be something like a brake light switch that's maybe a little too sensitive or starting to go out. It could be something like a throttle position sensor that is starting to go out, and it'll cause it to kind of hunt gears, you know, go in and out, in and out, in and out like that. You know, since you mentioned throttle position sensor, mm-hmm. when I come up to a stop, about about every third time it will go into that hunt mode where it seems like it can't quite find idle, but no right. check light comes on right yeah that could very easily be and again that's what a good service they're probably going to hook a scan tool to it particularly if you mentioned if you came to us and you mentioned that problem i'm gonna hook a scan tool up and i'm gonna look at the inputs to the transmission because that is very likely going to be a problem on the outside of the unit that's probably not going to be an internal problem but it could turn into an internal problem if it's neglected well, it, what you're saying really makes sense because I know when it goes in that lockup, it does it real hard sometimes. Yes, sir. That could very easily be the... Uh, it could be, yes, sir. It doesn't know where throttle is at, so it's just going to kind of go to a default mode, which is high pressure. Okay. Well, I was just worried. I was just wondering. I, I didn't think it would hurt the transmission, but no, I just sir. thought I'd call the expert. Yes, sir. There you go. <laughs> All right. Hey, we appreciate you, man. Uh-huh. Thanks, sir. Bye-bye. 
right, 499-9526, number if you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd certainly love to have you. We're going to take a quick little break, and we'll be right back with more. Mike Rohn here with Baton Rouge's newest talk show, My Oh Mayan, dedicated to helping people who thought the world would end December 21st, 2012. Caller, you're on the air. Mike, I really thought the world was going to end. So what did you do? You see, Mike, I quit work and streaked through the cafeteria. I maxed out my credit cards, my grass is waist high, and I can't find my dog. I think the line I bought might have eaten him. And my car won't run. Hmm. Well, first, take your car into Agco Automotive so it'll get fixed right the first time. Then, take it in for regular maintenance to save money in the long run by keeping your car in good shape and operating at the lowest overall cost. If you want to learn more about why Agco is the place to go, visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Well, Mike, there is one more thing. My neighbor DVRs C-SPAN, and I promised I'd spend Sunday afternoons watching it with him. Now... I wish the world really would end. Sorry, uh, can't help you there, buddy. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, this is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Mike Viator from VCI Automotive. Hey, between two of us, I believe we can answer just about any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? It's 499-9526. And be glad to try to point you in the right direction and give you some advice. Mike, we were talking during the break, and you said you were amazed at how many transmission questions we get. Yes. And we do get a lot. Part of that, I think, comes from the fact that, well, number one, it's a very expensive component, so people will right. ask more and rather than just go and try to do things. In other words, if they have a, let's say, a misfire or whatever, they're more likely to go out and buy a set of spark plugs and a plug wires and whatever and try to do something with it. Even if they don't do it, they haven't wasted too much money. But when it comes to cracking into an automatic transmission, it's just not one of those things the average person can do. So sure. you're far more likely to seek advice right. on that. Even in my own shop, I don't mm-hmm. rebuild transmissions. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's lots of problems that are exterior like this last caller right. that, that we do work on. Mm-hmm. When we first started into the transmission business, of course, I had Josh Wilson working for me, who has probably been in a transmission shop since he was 10 years old, so there's nothing he doesn't know. But we didn't rebuild a lot of units either. We would more repair or put rebuilt units in. Now, that's come full circle in the years that we've been doing it in that we really can't find a good source of replacement transmissions. There was at one time you could go to GM parts department, buy a GM remanufactured transmission. It was a real good unit. Right. Until we started putting 10 of them in and getting seven back. Yeah. Oh, I tell you. And the quality of the remanufactured parts you can buy is so low now for a number of reasons. Of course, GM, Ford, and Chrysler are obviously in trouble. They have gone to cheaper and cheaper suppliers, in my opinion. They've cut content on different things so that we can no longer use that source of parts. We have to actually remanufacture all our stuff in-house just because we have so much better success with it. Now, that eats up a whole lot more time. Right which is unfortunate, but we can build a transmission that one client who likes Hondas, he uses Honda vans, he's a hotshot driver, he puts over 100,000 miles a year on his vans. Right. He likes the Honda vans. Well, the Honda Odyssey had a problem with transmissions back in the before 2003 range. He had bought one, and the transmission, the original transmission went out at around 100,000, and there was an extended warranty on them because of the problems they've had. So they put him in transmission, well, at about 180000 it goes out again, which is about the life of those units. So he came in. We rebuilt his transmission. He has over 525000 on, and that transmission still in there. Wow. So that gives you an idea of the difference. When you custom build something, you can do things that are better than the original. For instance, if you know 
for sure this unit has trouble with the clutches that they use, and you can use a different type of heavy-duty clutch. The Chevrolet 4L60E, which is your Chevy pickups and Suburbans and all that, tremendous problem with the reaction shells break. And it's just an inferior grade part. It's not welded very well. It's very light. But there is a replacement, which is much heavier. And when we rebuild it, we go with a heavier shell. Right. Uh, there's also a set of planetary gears in the rear of it. it has five planets rather than four, like the original. The 4L60E had four planets. The 4L65E has five planets, but they'll interchange. So when we rebuild a 4L60, we go with the 65 parts, which boost it up. We can also get a heavier torque converter. There's a shift improver kit that we can put. There's all sorts of things we can do that make it actually better than it was originally. So, you know, from that respect, we're a whole lot better off building in-house, which is kind of a 180-degree circle from where we used to be. Right, exactly. You know, at one time, everybody rebuilt everything in their shop. That was just the way it was. And then as remanufacturers came in, it became more cost-effective and more efficient and faster to do it that way. But since the quality of remanufactured parts dropped so drastically, in my estimation, we've actually come back full circle to rebuilding in-house again. Right. Going back to our lines, we've got Wayne online. Good morning, Wayne. Okay, Lewis. I'm going to kind of put you on a hot seat a little bit, but I'm going to give you a chance to redeem yourself. <laughs> oh, I didn't know I needed to. <laughs> okay, here we go. I heard you talking about the, the inferior quality of uh, some of the OEM parts. Remanufactured parts. Well, remanuf- okay, remand parts. I watch these shows every now and then. I watch these shows on cable where they'll take like an old Chevy 350 engine and a, a 350 turbo hydromatic transmission. Yes, sir. A little technical snafu there. Hey, if you call right back, I'll be glad to put you right straight back up to the top of the lines. Don't know exactly what's going on. Apparently having a little problem with our switchboard there. <laughs> okay, we've got Howard on line. Good morning, Howard. Howard. A little bit confused, but... I hope I don't take too much time unraveling this mystery. Okay. It's on my, uh, my one of my cars. It's a 94 with a 3.8 liter. Okay. It has 100 and about 15K. Yes, sir. It's I've never had it in the shop to have anything done to it. A little bit that I do to keep it up, you know, I do it. But okay. anyway, this is what's been happening. On and off for a period of a, a few years, every now and then a service engine light would come on okay. intermittently. Like. Yes. One of those lights that, you know, checks every so many starts or something? No, sir, it doesn't do that. If, if his check engine light comes on, it's a problem. Well, the thing is, what I've done, too, is everywhere from, say, New Orleans to Baton Rouge, where I could get next to a shop quickly, I've brought it in and no one could find the code in there. There are things that can occur, turn check engine light on and not set a code. Well, then apparently this is one of them. But mm-hmm. this is what started to happen lately. And don't quite know how to do it. I mean, how to explain it, but mm-hmm. it it looks like sometimes it wants to surge in taking off. Yes, sir. I often think that it might say heat related, like after the engine has idled for a few minutes or mm-hmm. so, sit there, and then you try to take off. But this has been just an intermittent problem. Yes, and, sir. Uh, the only other thing that happened in stupidity, I looked at the vacuum hoses on that engine, mm-hmm. and those, you know, that come off the top of the yes, manifold right. and go to the dashboard into your reclaiming unit and all that yes, stuff, mm-hmm. those were all just dry rotted, so I changed every one of them. Okay. Now, I had recently changed the filter, inline fuel filter, because all of these service stations where I live were running out of gasoline, you know, and that yes, kind of mess, mm-hmm. so I did take the fuel line filter out and found more than usual, not really bad, but more than usual junk in the yes, inline mm-hmm, filter. Mm-hmm, right. But other than that, now this is the first time it happened, but 
the other morning about 6 o'clock, I got up and started the car, and when I did, the check engine light came on. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. And then... If I turn the switch off, it's gone. Yes, sir, it's going to do that. And the thing is, I guess what I'm asking is, I hate to just take my car and bring it over to you for a month to play with. Right. You? And you know, that is probably the only way you're ever going to find that problem. Well, let me ask you this. Can, based on what I've told you, I don't, you know, I don't mind having it towed to a shop if it'll break. It doesn't have to be towed to a shop, and it may not ever break, but you know, there's a number of things that can cause a check engine light that will not set a code. One of the most common is low voltage in the system. If the system voltage starts to drop below 12 volts, it's going to set a check engine light. Well, and it's, and it's not going to record a code. I can check that, you know. Mm-hmm. I never thought to check it. Yes, sir. Voltage is one thing. A short in the Class 2 serial data bus anywhere can cause that. Interference in the Class 2 serial data bus can cause that. A failing computer can cause that. In other words, if the computer itself is going bad... It drops some of the drivers out. Check engine light pops on. When you turn the key off and you turn it back on, you got to remember it's a brand new world. It's kind of like booting your desktop. It's going to go in. It's going to reboot. It's going to reload those drivers, and everything's going to be great until it occurs again. So those are the kinds of things that you may have. You could even have something as simple as like one wire. Have you ever looked at that computer? There's a chunk of wire as big as your wrist going into it. One wire that's cracked inside the insulation is touching 99% of the time. Every once in a while, it doesn't touch. Well, light pops on, the motor quits running, two little wires touch again. There's lots of things like that. The point is it's going to be very, very difficult to diagnose something if you don't have any data, and it occurs very infrequently. Do you think that there's any data available to you? I would check and see first. I mean, it, it only takes, Howard, 15, 20 minutes mm-hmm. to hook up. Not everybody has the same type of tooling. Not everybody understands how to use the tooling the same. We've got the General Motors Tech 2 scan tool, which is the same thing that GM produces for the car. There's some codes that will set that you can't get with a generic type tool that you can get with a Tech 2. I have a feeling some of these uh, checks that, like, you know, if I would be at a, at a distant location, and I kind of use that as my work car and stuff. And, yes, sir. Uh, if going to the best shop that I thought and ask them to check and see. Yes, sir. And, you know, I have a feeling they had did not have the... Well, they may just have an aftermarket scan tool yeah, that yeah, gives them I, some I OBD2 data, which OBD2 data is going to be emissions-related data. But there are also manufacturer's codes that can set that they won't be able to have access to. And it can also be codes... You see, the problem may not be in the engine computer. It could be in the body module. It could be in one of the other modules that is connected to the main computer. And a code may be stored in one of those. And with a generic tool, they don't have the access to get into those. Well, do you think that if I, you know, it doesn't, as I say, it doesn't matter. And if, if I had to have it towed to a shop, that's not a problem. Yes, sir. If this darn thing would just quit. And yes, sir. That, exactly. Well, a dead man's easy to diagnose. Sure, sure. But, you now, know, what I would do, Howard. Let me, if, let me if, ask you yes, this. Sir? Do you think, based on what I'm telling you, and the age of this car and the mileage, do you think that it's, it's even justifiable to think about fixing it or just let it go? Because well, I would have to define the word fixing it. What I would do, I, it, I would whatever. be willing to invest a certain amount of money to make sure that a critical problem doesn't exist that can be prevented. In other words, I would go in, if I were going to look at this, and there's certain tests that we can run that would take about an hour. If at the end of an hour I hadn't gotten anywhere at all with it, I would tell you, hey, just drive it until it gets worse. Because I I can easily find almost anything that's going to hurt you in an hour's time. 
But I wouldn't continue to spend hours and hours looking for something that's such a minor issue. It's never caused the car to break down. It occurs infrequently. So you got to be judicious with it. You know, I, yeah. I mean, I would go in and invest maybe hours. I, no, I mean, that's not a problem. I would probably make sure that it's not something that is getting overlooked or whatever. Now, at the end of an hour, if I haven't come up with absolutely anything, chances are let's pull the plug, move on. Sooner or later, something more substantial is going to probably show up. At that point, we could find it easier. Let me ask you this now. Sure. If I call for an appointment, how do I identify the, and I know you have your mechanics and they're a good, better, and best on this type of problem. Yes, sir. What I would do, Howard, how is... How do I identify the, the need so that... Well, what I would do, Howard, is when you come in, I would put you in the car with Jeff, who's our top diagnostic tech. I would let you drive the car and explain to him what happens, what it does. Because you're not ever going to be able to explain that to Elaine or I well enough to where I can explain it to him. Thing is, it, no Even if it doesn't can... do it, you can tell him what it does when it does it. So he knows kind of sort of what he's looking for. But do I make that appointment and, and what do I tell Elaine? That's, this is what I'm asking. Just tell you. her you got a real strange problem. It's very intermittent. We don't know if we're going to be able to diagnose or not. But what you'd like to do is block out about an hour of time with Jeff where you can ride okay, with Jeff, him. Jeff's the guy. Jeff is our head diagnostic tech. Okay, okay. And that's, for. that's pretty much all you have to do. we got a certain series of tests we're going to run, common, mm-hmm. all the normal. And if we hadn't found anything at the end of that, I think it's probably fruitless to just keep on looking. You know, right now, it's running, and I don't know much different, you know, and it between what it was, you know, 10 years ago. So right. it's uh, if Jeff was in it right now, he may pick up something. Right. Well, he uh, may, and it may be something in history that we can, can find. We may just see something. You know, he's got I mean, an awful lot of experience with that engine. His, uh, his uh, instrumentation, I think, is going to be the key. That just be my guess is going to be the key to... You know, maybe it's a finding what in the heck's wrong well, with it. Well, it's thing. one of the keys, and good instrumentation is one thing, but experience and knowledge of the system is another, knowing what things do what things. So it's, it's not going to be an easy fix, as you obviously know. Oh, no. But that's why I say I wouldn't spend just an inordinate amount of time looking because it's not, you know, the fix may be worse than the problem. Because, you know, I know really, I realize that I, I cannot work on automobiles any longer, no. and that's been, that I can back up 10, 15 years. And yes, sir. Right. You know, in, in other words, because when I looked under the hood and I saw these vacuum hoses right. in terrible shape. That well, they need it done anyway, so yeah, you, you hadn't old, hurt anything. You know? no. yeah. I'm getting old and I'm missing things. Yeah, well, you didn't hurt anything. That needed to be done regardless. Yeah, well, so. I mean, <laughs> but I should have caught that long ago. Yeah. But, because, uh, I mean, there it is staring me in the face, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm seeing those little, <laughs> you know where they have those two little 180-degree holes? Yes, sir. Uh, Mm-hmm. When I saw looked at it and I saw those things flat, I said, "My God!" Yeah, and that needed to be done, and you probably yeah. yourself out quite a bit. It just it wasn't this particular problem. No, that wasn't it. But but anyway, like I say, I just saw that and I said, "My God!" And I should have caught that years ago. <laughs> well, Listen, you caught thank, it though. <laughs> thank you for your help and have a good year. All right, Miss Howard. Thank you, okay, sir. Bye. Bye bye. Hey, we're gonna take one more quick little break, and we'll be right back with more. Mike Rohn here with Baton Rouge's newest talk show, My Oh Mayan. Dedicated to helping people who thought the world would end December 21st, 2012. Caller, you're on the air. Mike, I'm up the creek. So, what did you do? I maxed out all my credit cards, sold my stocks, my house, and my boat so I could travel the world before the world ended. Kept my 85 Mustang, though. Well, one thing I can recommend is to take your car in for regular maintenance at Agco Automotive. By taking care of your car, you'll save money in the long run by not having to pay for huge repairs. And with the money you save, you can pay down some of that debt. 
If you want to learn more about why Agco is the place to go, visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. There's one other big problem. I sold all my vital organs on a website in Uzbekistan, and now someone named Aziz keeps showing up on my caller ID. Well, hmm. Lay low, brother. Lay low. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us at the Automotive Hour, I'm your host, Louis Altazan, with guest co-host, Mr. Mike Viator, VCI Automotive, New Iberia. Hey, why don't you go ahead and give us a call. It's 499-9526. Boy, I tell you, I'll take off a week and I just come back stumbling and stuttering. Really? I thought you were doing very well. <laughs> oh, well, hey. <laughs> I like you. <laughs> now you know I've been friends a lot. <laughs> Four to five hundred words a minute. There you go. That's it. Just blast <laughs> it on out there, boy. Hey, go ahead and give us a call. We've got all our lines wide spread. Bank and open right now. Be glad to try to go ahead and put you right up at the top of the list. We just took our little vacation, took a driving vacation, which is sort of my favorite way to go. Right. I like any kind of vacation. I don't think I've ever had a bad one. Cruise is real nice and flying somewhere is real nice. But just getting in the car and going is just something about that that I really, really right. enjoy. Right. We've done that a couple of times. Been very, very, very nice. Mm-hmm. One of the things we did is went up to Dayton, Ohio and went to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And they have the Army Air Corps Museum there. Boy, that was just a wonderful, wonderful thing. In fact, I wanted to take my stepdad with me because he was in the Navy in the Pacific during World War II. Right. And he had a death in his family and wasn't able to, uh, to go. But just a great, great thing. If you're ever in that region, that is something well worth the time. And you can run through it in a day. To really see it, you probably, <laughs> you probably be there for a couple of days. But one of the things that just really impressed me, the, the B-29 boxcar is in there, which is basically right. the B-29 that dropped the bomb on Nagasaki, which pretty much ended World War II. That plane is in there intact. and Might uh, have to put it on the must-see list. Oh, yes. yeah. Memphis Bell is in there. Oh, man, they got, you name it, Mustangs and uh, P-38s. And if, if the Army Air Corps ever flew it, it's in there. Full-size B-17s. Wonderful. Yeah, just unbelievable. Hey, we're going back to our phone lines. we got Alan on the line. Good morning, Alan. Good morning. Yes, sir. Got a question for you about uh, spark plugs. Sure. I got an 03 Toyota Tacoma. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. It's right at 100,000 miles. I'm just going to go ahead and change the spark plug. Good idea. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Uh, the wires are a little different than what they I've are. seen before. Yes, sir. Uh, how do you go about changing that? Is it a whole kit? or? Yeah, it's coming a kit. And I might let Mike, since Mike's got more hands-on. That's a 3.4 liter? Yes. Yes, sir. You remember the wires on the 3.4? I, I really don't, Lewis. I don't. It's got three wires on it, and it's got three call packs on it, if I'm not mistaken, Alan. It's been Correct. a while since I fooled one myself. But I tell you, at 100,000 miles, I would be real surprised that it's going to need wires. Okay. Toyota wires are great. I mean, we very rarely change them. I mean, oh. even at twice that mileage, they just don't give much trouble. I would definitely change the plugs, look at the wires, and if you think they need changing, that's fine, but you might save yourself some money because I rarely ever change them. Okay, I looked at them. They're not, they don't have no signs of dry rotten or anything. No, no. They usually hold up really, really well. Like I said, even at twice that mileage, you know, if it were an American car, 3.8, I'd say, oh, yeah, definitely. Go ahead and change, change them. 4.6, same thing. But on the Japanese stuff, uh, the Toyota and the Honda both, we just hardly ever change plug wires. Right. But go back to the uh, Toyota dealer and buy you a set of spark plugs. They're not going to be any more expensive than they are at a parts store, and you're getting the right plug. It's a good plug. But I would change those. Now, on the back three, you may have to pull the upper plenum off the intake to get to it, 
which sounds scary, but it's really not that big a deal. You might ask the parts guy over at Toyota. He could tell you for sure. And like I said, I just don't work on it myself that often, but I believe the upper intake may lay on top of those back three plugs. It's about 10 or 15 bolts and an intake gasket, your intake plenum gasket. You just take it off, move it out of the way, and you can get right to those plugs. Uh, that sounds easy enough. A couple of tips there, Alan. When you do that job, make sure the engine is dead cold. You don't want to ever put a spark plug into an aluminum head engine that is warm at all. And the other thing is look up the torque specification, get a torque wrench, and torque those plugs into the head because you can easily over-tighten or under-tighten them and have a lot of problems. Okay. All righty. No, I appreciate other it. Other than that, you should be in good shape. All right. Thank, Thank you, man. You. Bye-bye. All right, 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd sure love to have you. Talking about going back to the original parts. In fact, we, we had a caller earlier. I wish he'd call back because he got cut off some type of way. But original equipment parts, for the most part, are the best choice. And sometimes, unfortunately, it's kind of the lesser of the evils because even the OEM parts are not great. Occasionally, you will find an aftermarket part that actually exceeds the original part. That's more the exception than the rule. One good example there is like Moog front-end parts. Moog will look at an OEM design, and if they see a problem, they will re-engineer that part to go ahead and fix the problem. We use the the Moog front-end parts quite a bit. Back, I remember when the Ford Taurus had an absolute horrible problem with inner tie rod wear. Right. You could put a set of OEM Ford tie rods on 30,000 miles. It was coming back worn, slap out again. Put the Moog tie rods on there, and it was good for 200,000. So occasionally there is an aftermarket part which actually exceeds the original. Right. But like I said, that's kind of the exception to the rule rather than the rule itself. Normally, if you buy the original equipment part, at very least you're going to get a good part. Right. Sometimes the best part, right. you know, quite often the best part, but not always. But you're always going to usually get a pretty good part. Right. Through the years, we've solved many problems by putting the OEM parts on and taking the cheap aftermarket off. Getting harder and harder to do that sometimes because some yeah. of the OEM original equipment parts are not the quality they once were. That's right. And when you take companies like Delco that used to be an OEM supplier is now basically an aftermarket supplier who has two products in two different boxes. For instance, you can buy a water pump for a Chevrolet pickup truck from Delco for about $80 or you can buy one for $250. The $250 one's made in the U.S. It's an OEM part and $80 is a Chinese knockoff that they put in a Delco box. The average guy thinks he's, he's, he thinks at the he's same, yeah oh yeah I'm, same I'm, part. I'm man. getting a Delco yeah. part, man. Not true. Got to be true. good. No, absolutely not. There's so much of that craziness that goes on that it's really hard if you're not in the industry every day working with it. And unless you know the part numbers, you can't tell the difference because two boxes look the same. Right, identical blue. Yep. Hey, we're going back to our phone line with Rex. Hey. Yes, I got a 2002 Honda Odyssey. Okay. Early in the morning when my wife backs it out, it's uh-huh. kind of on a curve. Uh huh. I don't know if it's the steering or the brakes, but it makes a god awful noise. Kind of a. Nah. It doesn't do it after that the rest of the day. Really? Are you applying the brakes when it occurs? I think she is because she's kind of riding the brake a little bit out of the driveway. Rex, you know what I would think that would probably be is the rear brake shoes on it. A lot of rear brake shoes, what they'll do, they'll kind of absorb some moisture overnight because of the high humidity. Right. And then on that first stop, they'll give you that kind of a horrible noise. As soon as you stop, the friction warms them up, pretty much cooks the water out, and they're done for the day. They're fine. But that kind of sounds like what it is. What you might do is tomorrow morning, just go out and stand by the rear of the vehicle. And when she backs out, listen and see if noise is coming from the back wheel. Okay. Because that kind of sounds like what the problem is. Well, I hope that's all it is. Sounds like it'd be a good problem if that was it. Yeah, particularly if it goes away after the first stop. Well, great. I appreciate it. All righty. Thank you very much. Thank you, man. Bye-bye.
499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we've got Daryl online. Good morning, Daryl. Good morning, Lewis and, hey. and, and company. Yes, sir. <laughs> Mike. <laughs> yeah, Mike. I have a 1999 Cutlass uh-huh. Oldsmobile. Okay. I noticed I've been having to add radiator, I mean, radiator fluid. Coolant, yes, sir. Yeah. Coolant to it. Like maybe every two weeks, it seemed to be dropping. I don't see no apparent leaks anywhere. Where do you think I'm losing that fluid? Uh, Daryl, I'll tell you the most common thing on that would be the water pump front seal. Ooh. Okay. And what happens is that water pump will leak. It doesn't leak all the time, and it right. may not leak when you turn it off. Mm-hmm. So there's no puddle, but it leaks when it's running. And the water, the fan blows the water back up against the engine, mm-hmm. and the heat of the engine tends to evaporate the water before it drips okay that's why i don't see anything so you don't see a drip that's one of the most common things that we see on those a pressure test would be needed to to isolate it okay in very difficult circumstances we can add some fluorescent dye to the coolant and what it'll do is it'll leave a dye trail we can take a black light and go over the car and we can see where it's coming out okay so it's not terribly difficult to diagnose one important thing, Daryl, when you say you're adding water to it. I'm actually adding coolant half good. and half. Good. Great. That's what I was going to say. Go buy, until you can get it fixed, buy you some pre-mixed coolant. Because if you just add water, what will happen, you'll start setting up a real corrosion problem. Yes, you know, sir. that coolant protects it from corrosion. Okay. And, man, you'll end up with a way bigger repair bill than what you got now. So. Okay. Appreciate it, guys. Okay, Daryl. Thank you, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey, we're going to take one last quick little break, and we'll be right back. Mike Rohn here with Baton Rouge's newest talk show, My Oh Mayan, dedicated to helping people who thought the world would end December 21st, 2012. We have an anonymous caller here from the D.C. area. You're on the air. Oh, uh, yes, Mike. I have some serious debt issues. Okay. Let's say I'm in charge of this really big company, and we have this deficit. You know, I thought with the world ending, we'd be okay, but... That didn't happen, and I need some cash. I maxed out all my credit cards, but that barely made a dent. Well, sounds like you need to be on a strict budget, and the first thing I tell you is to make sure you're not wasting money on big-time car repairs. Regular preventative maintenance with Agco Automotive is the key to saving money in the long run and a good way to pay off debt. If you want to learn more about why Agco is the place to go, visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Any other advice? You should look into selling your house and downsizing. I don't think I'm allowed to do that. Pennsylvania 6, 5, Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. I've also got Mr. Mike Viator from VCI Automotive and New Iberia. Mike, you did not got a chance to talk a whole lot there. Well, I'm listening. <laughs> Customers have excellent questions. I tell you, we haven't had a whole ton of questions this week, but we sure got some good ones in there. I hope mm-hmm. anybody else, we still got another 10 minutes or so. So if you got a question, go ahead and pop on there, and uh, we'll try to give you some advice, point you in the right direction. You know, just in case you don't get a chance to call in or something occurs to you during the week, you can always go to the website. It's agcoauto, A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com, and pop on there and see if you can't get your questions answered. In fact, I just added a new thing on the detailed topics, and it shows you, it's sort of a tutorial on how to use our question section. We did, did several screenshots, show you what buttons to push, how to do it, and all that. And that should eliminate any, I guess, any confusion on that. Also, an article coming up on framework, which is something we, of course, being a frame repair shop, we get a lot of questions on it. Something that most people just don't know a whole, whole bunch about. That's an article that will be coming up. I think it'll go online maybe in another week or so. Articles in there on alignment. Right. Uh, one that we put in there that's got an awful lot of readership is called The Myths of Wheel Alignment. 
And boy, there are just all sorts of myths surrounding wheel alignment. Exactly. As you well know, because you, know, you do wheel alignment yourself. Right. Yes. One of the number one myths that we run across is folks seem to think that alignment is a maintenance item. In other words, they think that every year or so they need to get their car aligned. And that's just not the case. Not so. We, uh, in the shop, we see more alignments due to poor alignments done by the shop that are doing it for maintenance purposes. Correct. Guy had no problem, went in, let somebody tamper with it, now he's got a problem. Now he's got a problem, now we straighten it out. Right. Alignment is not a maintenance issue. Alignment is a repair, and you really don't need an alignment unless you need an alignment. Now, how do you know when you need one? Well, read the article, and it'll give you all kind of good information exactly how to know that. Hey, it's www.agcoauto, Agco Auto, Altazan's Garage Company, dot com. Pop on there and see what you think. I think you'll like it and get a whole lot of good information. And we've got David online. Good morning, David. Hey, good morning. How are you doing today? Doing great, sir. I have a Chrysler Pacifica with a 50,000 miles on it. Okay. 2006 model. Yes, sir. Car uh, rides fine. Transmission uh, shifts fine at normal speeds. I've been noticing at real low speeds, like under 10 miles an hour, uh-huh. when I step on the gas and let up, I hear a clumping sound, like when the transmission is engaging the gear. Okay. And also sometimes when I'm slowing down and the transmission's downshift. Uh-huh. When it goes into that final gear, I'll hear this clump. Okay. And I just wondered, is that anything to be concerned about? Because I had never heard it, you know, before. Maybe, well, you know, I would it. say it's definitely something to be concerned about. At very least, it needs to be checked. David, that could be one of two things that occur to me. First and most simple is you may have a broken engine or transmission support. These are rubber mounts that the engine and transmission sit on. And what happens when they break is that it allows that engine to kind of pick up under acceleration and slam down under deceleration, which can give you that, that clunk or thud type of noise. Uh-huh. That's a relatively easy thing to fix. That's going to get worse in time because there's four mounts on there, and if one's broken, it's going to strain the heck out of the other three. Right. So you could end up having to change all four if you wait too long as opposed to just changing the one that's bad right now. Right. The second thing that would occur to me is it could be that it's going to high-pressure mode when it shouldn't. There's a solenoid inside the transmission that's like a regulator. And what uh-huh. it does, the more you accelerate, the more pressure it needs on the clutches to prevent slippage. Right. However, when you're not accelerating, it doesn't need all that pressure, and in fact, it makes it shift very hard. So the computer recognizes those conditions, and as a solenoid, it opens and closes called a pressure control solenoid. Now, okay. if the pressure control solenoid hangs up, you can get a very harsh up or down shift. I mean, it'll just really slam in gear. Now, that is pretty dangerous because you can cause a lot of damage with that hard, you know, slamming into gear. You can end up breaking things, you know, start tearing up clutches and start, I've even seen break a case on a transmission uh, under extreme mm-hmm. conditions. Right. Relatively simple fix, if that's the case. I don't think, you don't have to take transmission out of the car or anything. But you may have to drop the pan and drop the valve body. Sometimes uh, there's a solenoid pack on the outside you can take off. So either way, I think it warrants someone knowing what they're doing, going to take a look, and that way we can at least tell you, hey, yeah, it's this, that. Or we may say, hey, there's a loose bolt here. We tighten it up, and it's no big deal. You know, well, that's great. Right. But no sense in letting a small problem turn into a bigger problem. Sure, sure. Okay, well, I'll probably give your office a call this coming week, set up an appointment. Okay, that sounds great. Okay, David. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Right, 499-9526 is the number. If you want to party automotive hour, we still got just a couple of minutes. You can go ahead and give us a call and try to get an answer. <laughs> Very good. We've been getting some much-needed rain here, Lewis. I noticed the cloudy weather. Well, I tell you. it. Uh, don't be worried about calling in, though. You won't get shocked with the wet weather and <laughs> phone lines. <laughs> That's a fact. Kind of like you were saying, the number of transmission calls that we get, and, and that's right. why I have Josh on the show uh, with me fairly frequently because he's certainly a lot more knowledgeable about transmissions than I am. 
anything, whether it's a transmission or anything else, when you first start to notice symptoms, that's the time to at least get it looked at. And if nothing else, the tech may tell you, hey, this is not a problem right now. We really don't have to worry about it. But just neglecting it or letting it go, it's not like a sore thumb. It's not going to heal. No. It's going to get worse, and it's going to get a lot more expensive as it gets worse. Right. So the time to deal with it is right now and up front. I see we got all our lines lit up as usual at the end of the show. <laughs> we got Brett on the line. Good morning, Brett. How you doing? Doing great, sir. I got an 06 Chevy Silverado. Okay. A few weeks ago, I noticed my check engine light came on. Okay. Later on that day, it went off. Yes, sir. Again, last week, uh-huh. I was kind of low on gas. My check engine light came on, stopped, filled my truck up. The light went off. Okay. This should be a concern or... Yeah, it's a problem. What you, what you might do... Brett, is to go in on our website and read the segment on check engine lights. And there's also a newsletter there on check engine lights that explains to you how they work and why they seem to be illogical sometimes. What happens is that when you're driving, the computer is executing certain tests. And there's over 2,000 things that it checks for. Now, when a certain test fails, it's going to kick the check engine light on. Once that's done, it's going to stay in live in memory until you cycle the ignition. Once you turn the key off and turn it back on, it's going to go out of the current memory, move it to history memory, and then start the cycle all over again. Now, a certain test may require a certain parameter to run. In other words, you may have to drive 25 miles before a certain test is going to run. So if you normally drive 15 miles, you may not see your check engine light. The first time you drive 25, wham, it comes on. Another parameter might be that the gas tank has to have less than three-quarters of a tank and more than a quarter tank. So if you're running below that, you may not ever see the light. If you're running above that, you may not see the light. When it gets to that point, it comes on. Another parameter could be it has to see a cold start and then go a certain distance. So what I'm saying is there's all kinds of parameter for which it sets a light, and every drive cycle is going to be a new world. It's going to start off fresh again. So that's why it seems to come and go and not be there and be there. The point is on a 2006 model, if that light ever comes on, it's a problem, and it's going to be in history, and it's going to come back. So it's pretty simple. You bring it to the shop. We just hook a scan tool to it. We can pull up a code, and a code will not tell you what's wrong. What it will tell you is which area of the vehicle is being affected. From there, the technician can go in and figure out what's causing the actual problem. Where a lot of people get in trouble, they'll go in, they go to a parts store, and they say, okay, check the code. And they'll, the, the parts guy will say, oh, it says you need an auction sensor. Well, that's wrong. There's no code that ever says you need an auction sensor. It says the sensor's out of range. Well, sensor being out of range may be because you got a vacuum leak. And the engine's running too lean, so the sensor's out of range. It could be a clogged injector. It could be a bad mass airflow meter. It could be all sorts of things. So what you have to do is bring it to somebody who knows what they're doing, and they can interpret that code for you and then go ahead and get you a fix. Most of the time, it's going to be something fairly minor, particularly on a newer vehicle like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it okay. could, could be something as simple as just a vacuum line right. that's off or something. So it's not something you want to let go. Number one, and, and to me, if your check engine light is coming on and you're ignoring it and a major problem does occur, you won't know because right. you're ignoring the check engine light. Right. See? The second thing is when it comes time for an inspection sticker, you won't be able to get a sticker right. because it's going to be in history and they're going to fail you on inspection. Right. So you're going to have to have it fixed anyway. It better to fix it sooner than later. Even if the light goes out. Even if the light goes out. Even it's it's light still going to be in history. Yes. yes, or the data will still be there. We can still repair it. Right. Okay. All righty. All right. Appreciate it. Okay, Brett. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. Thank you. Let's see if we can't get one more call in. we got Al online. Good morning, Al. Hey, good morning. I got a 2000 Honda Accord EX. Uh-huh. It's, it's got a ghost in it. It's uh, about once a month when you start it up, it'll idle rough and shut down. And okay. If you, if you keep your foot on the accelerator yes, and sir. keep mm-hmm. it idle up a little bit, yes, sir. Mm-hmm. it'll clear up and go away. And I've taken it in about three times, 
and they've just tried some different things at the Honda place. They yes. change the spark plugs. Yeah, it's not going to be that. Top of the things. Yeah. But the occasional light comes on, but then it'll go away. Yes, sir. What that most likely is, Al, is going to be the idle control servo is sticking yeah. on it. Sometimes those can be cleaned. A lot of times they have to be replaced, but it's a little motor that the computer uses to control idle. Mm-hmm. It drives it up and down. And what happens when they start getting older is they start getting kind of sticky. When the engine's cold, it has to idle faster because it's not running as efficiently. And it just can't get it up to the higher RPM that it needs so the engine sputters and dies. In warmer weather, it's not as effective. Or if it happens to work okay, it's not as effective. So that would be the first place to start looking. In order to conclusively say that's what it is, it's going to have to occur in the shop. So if it occurs very infrequently, then it's going to be a little hard to to diagnose. Very, very infrequently. Yeah, you know what I would probably start with is to go ahead and take it out and clean it, put it back together, see if that clears the problem up. Or at least makes it way better. You know, if it gets way better but it's still in there some, then you might want to replace the valve. But that valve's a little bit expensive, so I wouldn't just go change the valve on a maybe. But that's the very most likely thing that it's going to be. Well, after they tried a few things, they recommended this uh, Chevron Tecron uh, fuel cleaner. Does that do any good? Well, no, not for that problem. It's not. Clog injector is not going to affect you sometimes and only at idle. You know, it's going to affect the performance of the vehicle across the board, and it's going to always be there because it's not going to get clogged and then unclogged. So it sounds like they're kind of grasping at straws there. I would try cleaning the idle air valve yeah, first. That's just the way most likely thing. Idle, the idle, idle control valve, valve yes, right. sir. And if that doesn't do it, then the next thing is you're going to have to catch it actually acted up in the shop because there are some other things. There's about 15 different inputs the computer uses to control idle, and if it loses any of those, it can cause that kind of a problem. Yeah, they actually gave me the readout on the – Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. It just said engine misfiring or – you know, uh, firing out of out of control or something Yes, like or that. probably a general misfire type code. Yeah. And if it's idling too low, it's going to set a general misfire code. Mm-hmm. But they've already done a tune-up and all that kind of stuff on it. Chances are that's, that's going to be that idle servo is hanging up, and it's just it's idling you down too low, and that's why it's, it's setting a general misfire because mm-hmm. it's not running very efficiently. Mm-hmm. Okay, thanks a lot. Okay, sir. man, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, I see we're just about out of time. There we go. I was waiting for the bumper music to run. I want to tell everybody how much I appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. I want to give Mike a big thank you for being with us today. It's always a pleasure. Hey, I always enjoy having you, Mike. We're going to get on out of here. You guys have a great New Year. Happy New Year. Well, that was our special encore presentation of a show originally broadcast in January 2009. I hope you really like it, and I'd like to send a big thank you out there to all our podcast listeners who listen all around the world. We would really appreciate you going on iTunes and giving us a rating if you think we deserve it, and we wish you a really happy new year.